I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, Exodus 20. And we want you to have a Bible to follow along. These brothers have some. They're going to make their way to the back. If you need a Bible, then get their attention and they'll give you one of those. And when I say give, it is our gift to you. We want you to keep that Bible. We want everyone to own a copy of God's Word. Exodus chapter 20. Some of you are familiar with Bill Gaither of originally the Gaither Trio and then later the Gaither Vocal Group. He wrote uh, many Christian songs over several decades with uneven quality theologically. For example, his song, The King is Coming, presents a questionable view of the second coming. In his book by the title The Charismatics, John MacArthur says, Someone once wrote to the well-known and respected songwriters Bill and Gloria Gaither and asked for a theological interpretation of their song, The King is Coming. Following is an excerpt from a reply sent by their secretary. Regarding the interpretation of the song, The King is Coming, of all the songs, of all songs, that song has been a gift from God. Bill and Gloria do not profess to be theologians. The song came quickly to them, and they do not care to discuss the theology of it. In fact, they feel that to dissect the song would be tampering with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who inspired the song. Now, you may remember last week I said songwriters should have theological training. This is one reason why. But anyway, they have another song that some of you may remember called There's Something About That Name, the refrain of which is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. And then says it's like a fragrance after the rain, that kings and kingdoms will pass away, but there's something about that name. And it's almost as if there's something magic about the name Jesus. Now, to be fair, the song does add some content to the name, saying at one point, Master, Savior, Jesus, like a fragrance after the rain. But overall, it gives the impression that the name of Jesus is like an incantation that one just repeats, and there's something about it. Today, as we continue our series in the Ten Commandments, we come to the third, where God says, you shall, in verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. This morning, we want to see why there, in fact, is something about the names that God chooses to use for himself so that we can appreciate them, we can worship God because of them, and we can avoid using them in vain. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we thank you that we are here by your divine appointment, that we are here because you've allowed us to be, because you've caused us to want to be. I thank you for these brothers and sisters. I thank you for these guests here. I thank you for those who are here who know you and those who may not know you alike. For those who do not, we pray that today would be the day where you begin a relationship with them by your grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you to help us as we have open Bibles before us. And we look at what you instruct with regard to your name. 
and how and when and in what attitude it's to be used. We ask you, Lord, to help us to be attentive and open and to be changed. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, we have inserted in your program this week as each week an outline. We encourage you to take that outline out if you haven't done so already so that you can follow along with the message. And we say, first of all, in that outline, that we must understand the importance of God's name. We must understand the importance of God's name. And the importance of God's name has at least two categories to it. And I have those for you in the outline. The first is this, that God's name is his character. In ancient times, parents chose names for their children based less on how those names sounded and certainly not by consulting a baby name book, but rather on aspirations the parents had for the child or sometimes circumstances that surrounded the child's birth. The name meant something. When one said it, they were saying something about the person. And God is known by various names in the Bible, each of which tell us something about him. In Exodus chapter 3, where God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, telling him to go to Pharaoh and command Pharaoh to let my people go, Moses asked God, Suppose they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, the Hebrew word for I am in that verse is related to the personal name of God that many of you have heard before, Yahweh. And it's used with regard to his personal relationship with his people. That name Yahweh refers to God's self-existence. He is the one who always has been and who always will be. Then there's another less frequently used name for God, El Shaddai, which meant God Almighty. And there are many others in the Old Testament, all of which say something about who God is. And then when God the Son came to earth, at the beginning of your New Testament, the angel told Joseph this, that you are to give him the name Jesus. But here's why. Because he will save his people from their sins. Now, the reason it says that he's going to be called Jesus because for this reason, he will save his people from their sins is because Jesus means that Yahweh saves. God saves. So you're going to call him by that name because that is what he has come to do. Save his people from their sins. And so this name says something about who he is. He's the savior, the one who brings deliverance, rescue, salvation for his people. God's name is his character. It is who he is. And that's why you read in the New Testament the requirement for people to believe in his name. Believe in who he is and who he claims to be and all that he has revealed regarding his character. And so we have passages like John chapter 1. He, Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, that is, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In addition, the Bible says, he who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Calls on the name of the Lord. Then we have passages like in Acts chapter 5, where the apostles were preaching the gospel, preaching the good news, but they were ordered by the religious leaders to stop, and they were summoned to a sort of court, a tribunal 
before them in order to investigate what they were doing, and they were told not to do it any further. The Bible tells us that they were even flogged. But here's what it says. The religious leaders ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. The apostles left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace notice for the name. For Jesus, for God, and all that that represents about who he is. So name in the Bible is more than just a series of letters but instead represents something about the person that the name signifies. Name referred to the person, the character, and the work of God. So the importance of God's name is that it represents who he is. It represents his character. But I say in your outline as well, it's important because God's name is sacred. Sacred, many of you know, means set apart. Different. Holy. The one represented by the name God is unique. He's above all that is created. All of his creation. He is set apart. He is different. He is holy. So when Jesus gave the famous disciples prayer, sometimes called the Lord's Prayer. You've heard me say many times. It's better referred to as the disciples prayer. It's a prayer that he gave for us to pray. It's not a prayer the Lord himself could pray because it says forgive us our trespasses and he had no trespasses to forgive it's the disciples model prayer and the first of six petitions in that prayer famously is this hallowed be your name holy set apart different be your name may your name be seen As holy, may it be set apart. May your character be revered among all people. So when we use the name of God, or when we invoke his name for some activity, our words and our actions should reflect the character of the God we're invoking. Since God's name is sacred, when we refer to him, it should always be meaningful. It should always be reverent. In fact, Jewish practice is to avoid even saying the name Yahweh. When they come across the name Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible, some of you know that there were originally no vowels in the Hebrew Bible, just consonants. But they knew by sight as to how to pronounce it. They had done it so long. And so the name Yahweh is really just four consonants, Y-H-W-H. And when they would see that, rather than saying Yahweh, they would instead say Adonai, so that they could Another name for Lord so that they could safeguard against any possibility of breaking this third commandment of God. My Hebrew professor in seminary, Dr. Robert McCabe, is a good many decades long friend of our own Dr. Combs. And when Dr. McCabe would read the name of God, Yahweh, in the Hebrew Old Testament, he would do what the Jews did and do. He would say Adonai. Now, that may seem like a bit much for some of you. I mean, why go to all those lengths to be careful about the name of God? Well, notice why God says we are not to misuse his name. Again, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for, because, the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless 
who misuses his name. So we should take this seriously because God's name represents him and he takes it seriously. One commentator said Yahweh's name must be honored, blessed, praised, celebrated, invoked, pronounced, and so shared. To treat Yahweh's name with disrespect is to treat his gift lightly, to undermine his power, to scorn his presence, and to misrepresent to the family of humankind his very nature as the one who always is. Another said, any number of men would fight for the honor of the name of a wife or mother. But many of these same men are utterly indifferent and careless blasphemers who thoughtlessly profane the name of Almighty God. And why the difference between those? Why the difference between getting agitated and taking action if the name of a close relative is defamed? And yet we might say God's name flippantly in ways that are empty or allowed to be said in our presence. Why the difference? It's because we fail to grasp what the name of God really means. It represents his character and it is sacred. When you speak the name of God with your lips, make sure that he would be pleased with what you say. When you speak the name of God with your life, make sure that he would be pleased with what you do. We must understand the importance of the name of God. It's important because it is his character. It's important because it is sacred. And because of that, we say in your outline, we must not misuse God's name. To misuse it is to use it for no legitimate purpose or to use it thoughtlessly. Artists sometimes place their name at the bottom of their work because they want to be associated with it. They're proud of it. They're pleased with it. On the other hand, there are times when you might work on a project with others, but you're not thrilled with the work product, and so you insist that your name not be put on it. The reason that you do that is because putting your name on it associates you, associates that product with you, and you do not want to be connected to unworthy things. To misuse God's name or to take it in vain means to attach it to something of which it is not worthy. God wants his name associated with things that are worthy of it. The Bible reveals the person and character of God, and there's a dignity and there's a seriousness connected with it. The third commandment calls us to be aware of the dignity and the worth of God whose name we use And to use that name in a way that reflects the true character of God rather than in a way that slanders him or associates him with something that demeans him. There are a number of ways in which we can violate this practically. I have four listed for you in your outline. First, we must not use God's name in profanity. This is probably the first thing that comes to our mind when we think of this third commandment. To use the King James language, you shall not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain. And when we think of that, we think of, of swearing or, or profanity. Today, the name of God has indeed become an exclamation point. It's used in crude and off-color jokes. It's used to emphasize anger. You're just going to have to think about how that happens because I don't want to actually say it myself. It's used to underscore a point in an argument. 
Someone once quipped that contrary to popular opinion, God's last name is not Dan. But you would never know that from the language of modern culture. As Christians, we've been tempted to let some more sanctified uses of the Lord's name misuses come into our vocabulary. How many of you express emotion with, oh, my Lord or oh, my God? How many times have you used the name of God alone, not attaching that familiar four letter word on the end of it, but just using it to say to just come out of your mouth for no particular purpose or reason to use God's name in anger or surprise or emotion is to misuse it. It's to use it in vain. It's to profane it. We must not use God's name in profane ways. Second, we must not use God's name falsely. There are a few ways to do that. One is to take his name in false oaths. Now, oaths have been traditionally sworn in the name of God or the Bible. It's an appeal to a higher authority as proof of truthfulness. Oaths are a common way of life in our courtrooms, or oaths are taken every day. And they usually include the words, so help me God. The Constitution of our country has a prescribed oath for the president that's 35 words long. And to those 35 words, George Washington added the phrase, so help me God, to the end of his oath, And almost every president has added it since. So just as an aside, so much for those who claim that our founding fathers had no intent to reference God in public life. Actually, founding father number one, Washington, did so without being urged and without any particular precedent to go on. He set that precedent and virtually every other president has followed it. There are some religious groups that forbid their adherents from taking oaths, thinking that the scriptures forbid it. But that's not actually true. Just two chapters after giving the Ten Commandments, there's an oath actually in the name of God himself. This oath was to verify something that could be verified no other way. In fact, just turn over a page to chapter 22 and verse 10. Chapter 22 and verse 10, if anyone gives a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any other animal to their neighbor for safekeeping, and it dies or is injured or is taken away while no one is looking, the issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord that the neighbor did not lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this and no restitution is required. So you leave your your property in the form of an animal with someone else for safekeeping while you're gone something untoward happens and you're to take an oath before the Lord to say that you did not do any harm to it did not take this other person's property and God himself took an oath by his own name when he did so he bound himself by his own character because to take an oath is to bind yourself by that on which you swear and here's what the Bible says about God taking an oath On himself. Hebrews chapter 6. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. 
So taking an oath in itself is not wrong. However, people who are always swearing oaths to verify their stories have credibility problems. People always have to tell you they're telling the truth. (laughs) The truth is, I shouldn't always have to tell you I'm telling the truth. You should be able to assume that I'm telling you the truth. And so those people have credibility problems. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, near the beginning of his sermon on the mount, let your yes be yes and your no be no, because people were making improper and false oaths. And so people will sometimes say, maybe hold their hand up, I swear to to God. Sometimes that's the exclamation of an angry person. Then they use that phrase, and then followed by, I'm promising, and they're invoking the name of God that I'm going to do something to you. They're appealing to God and invoking His name. And they're doing it with a, a false oath that uses God's name in a false way. Another kind of false or improper oath is the oath that someone says when they're trying to get you to believe something. So they say something like, as I said earlier, I'm telling you this with my hand raised to heaven. Or sometimes you'll hear people say, hand to God. I mean what I'm saying. They're taking an oath and lightly using the name of God to verify it. We must not use the name of God falsely in false oaths or, here's another way, in false teaching. This is when someone invokes the name of God for something that God did not say. It is, in short, to claim God's authority for our own decisions. Oftentimes we hear preachers or teachers stand up with the word of God and they tell us, God gave me a word for you. Yeah. God spoke to me, and I'm going to speak to you. Hear this, friends. God did not give them a direct word. God's word comes in Scripture. The preacher or teacher is violating the third commandment by using God's name in vain. The prophet Jeremiah addressed people like this. The Lord, through the prophet Jeremiah, said, I am against the prophets who wag their tongues and yet declare the Lord declares. They're talking, but they're saying the Lord says this. Those who would teach must teach what God said. That's why James warns in James chapter 3 and verse 1, Not many of you should presume to be teachers because teachers of the word of God will be judged with stricter judgment. Those who teach the Word of God have an awesome task. And every time we open the Word of God, we're invoking the name of God behind our explanations. So it's of utmost importance that this not be taken lightly. Sometimes the name of God is used to manipulate people. God told me that you're supposed to write a check. Get the name spelled right, write it to me. Or more subtly, if you want to please God, then you need to do such and such. And the question we must always ask is, where did God say I need to do that? To invoke the name of God is to take a serious position, and if that's a false position, we've dishonored the name of God. If I stand up and tell you that God said something when God didn't really say that, I have misused his name. So God's name is misused when it's profaned, when it's used falsely, Third, we must not use God's name in hypocrisy. 
the word is the world is full of people who claim to be Christians. No doubt most, if not all of us here, would make that claim. But think about, friends, when we claim to be Christians, we're invoking the name of Christ. When we tell people, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm invoking the name of Christ. Christians get their very name from Christ. So in claiming to be a Christian, we've connected his name on our life. So the question then is, what kind of statement do our lives make about the name of Christ? When a Christian sins, there's a sense in which he sins in God's name. He sins while he's connected, he or she is connected to God. And therefore, it's an extremely serious matter. This has been seen on a large scale throughout church history. Many of you know that there were those who, in the name of God, supported slavery. There were those who, in the name of God, stood against civil rights. There were what might be called macro violations of the third commandment like those. A recent study by the Evangelical Alliance, that's a British group that's similar to in the U.S., the National Association of Evangelicals, found that one-third of people who claim to be evangelicals between the age of 18 and 35 say they have no problem with unmarried men and women living together. Something that's contrary to what God says in his word. And so for somebody to claim to be a Christian and then say that that's okay is to misuse God's name by the way they live. To claim to know Christ and then to live in ways that do not conform to his name is to misuse it. And Christ addressed this famously and ominously in Matthew chapter 7, again the Sermon on the Mount. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, notice, in your name and in your name? Drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles. And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. He knew that these people claimed to follow when in fact they didn't. The mere mention of a name did not qualify them to be his followers. They were misusing the name. We all know that names are associated with behavior. How many people talk about ruining the family name, for instance, because a member of a family did something of disrepute? They're not saying that they messed up the spelling or they turned the letters upside down. They're saying that so-and-so embarrassed our name by doing something at minimum stupid and perhaps even immoral. And in your life, chances are that people know that you are a church-going Christian for most of us here. So we've got to ask ourselves then, friends, what does our life say about the name of Christ? We can live in hypocrisy in another way. As Christians, when we join in worship, but we sing songs with no sacrifice of the heart or no expression of truth, when we just go through the motions... We're worshiping hypocritically. The prophet Malachi rebuked the nation of Israel about their offerings in worship. He said, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors 
so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. This is God speaking through Malachi. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. Notice, my name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. What you're doing is associated with my name, and my name is not to be associated with that. This point is that their offering did not match up to the greatness of God's name. And so we must not use God's name in profanity. We must not use it falsely, hypocritically, and in your outline, in frivolity. We must not use God's name in frivolity. Friends, today we live in a world where everything can be bought or sold. There's no limits to the lengths that some will go. And unfortunately, that has not escaped the Christian church. There are bumper stickers with slogans about God. Now, if you have this bumper sticker, I haven't seen it. So, And during cafe community, you can go out and peel it off. But God is my co-pilot. I saw another bumper sticker that I like better that says, If God's your co-pilot, switch seats. Sometimes, you know, you've got the God is my co-pilot thing and it's on the back of a car that just went by at 15 miles over the speed limit or with a wave of a finger. We have a generation of bumper sticker theologians who believe that the truth of an infinite God belongs on the back of a car bumper alongside political slogans and baseball teams. And just think, friends, we may very well be cheapening the name of God. We have companies that market Christian t-shirts with things like, this blood's for you. Instead of this bud's for you. Or God's gym instead of gold's gym. They've taken popular advertising slogans and then they've plugged in biblical ideas. Trivializing the name of God. And I fear that we become so desensitized to the name of God that we hear it without being affected. We might even participating it, participate in it without realizing that we're violating God's commands. So, dear friends, to sum it up, we are not to use God's name and invoke God's name in a manipulative way. Not to appeal to some religious sensibilities to get our own desire. Not to attach God's name to something God would not attach his name to. We're not to use it lightly or insincerely. When we speak the name of God, understand what it is you're saying and who you're talking about. You don't need and should not use the name of God to express surprise or anger. His name is not filler material for our speech or our prayers when we don't know what else to say. When you utter the name of God, when you utter the name of Jesus, any of the names that are representative of his character... And think about what you're doing. Now, here's the most important thing to know with regard to the name of God. And it's the name that you need and I need and everyone needs to know and understand what it represents is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about that name, Lord He is master. He is the one who's in charge. 
He's the one to whom we all are to submit our lives. That title represents his mastery over creation. The Bible teaches us that he is the creator. Lord. Jesus. He is the savior. He is the one who has come to save his people from their sins, as we saw earlier. And so when I come to him, I come to him for the deliverance, the rescue, the salvation that only Jesus can give. And as I do that, I bow before him as my Lord. That's why the Bible says, he who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's the Lord, Jesus, and he's Christ. Jesus is the Christ. We get that word Christ from a Greek word, Christos, which is the equivalent of an Old Testament Hebrew word, Mashiach or Messiah. Jesus is the one to whom all of the predictions in the first part of your Bible pointed as the one who would come and be the final sacrifice for the sins of his people. He's the one who would come and be set up as the king of the kingdom of God, which is the theme of the entire Bible. And it finally culminates in the second coming of this one who has done all to please God the Father and has now become worthy of the throne in the man Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ. So you never say Jesus Christ in anger. You never use his name because you stubbed your toe or you missed the nail and you hit your thumb and you yell out his name. You use his name because it represents what I just said. And as we close, let us ask ourselves, as Christians, as Christians, do we do that? Are we conscious of that, both with our lips and with our lives? And then I ask those of you who may have come into this room not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way. So what's holding you back from bowing before him as the Lord that he is? From receiving from him the salvation that Jesus, the one who saves his people from their sins, provides. From recognizing that he is the one predicted hundreds of years before who is coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords. You have opportunity now to bow before the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what do you do in order to do that? You realize that you're a sinner. You recognize that Christ died for your sins. You repent. Lord, I've been going my way. Repent means I'm going to go your way. I'm giving you my life. And you receive Jesus Christ into your life. We're going to pray in just a moment. Christian, some of us may need to confess and ask the Lord to forgive us of using his name in flippant ways. Let's do that. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. And he promises to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those of you who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, now is your opportunity to say from your heart to God, I'm a sinner. I believe who you say you are. You are the Lord. You are the Savior. And I ask you to take my life. I give my life to you. Let's bow together. Our Father, we thank you for visiting with us by gathering us and granting us your presence before you 
and with your word open, thank you, Lord, for teaching us who you are and what your name represents. Lord, help me, help us, all of us, to take your name seriously. Help us to always see that it represents you, it represents your character, to only use it in ways that would be pleasing and honoring to you. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for what those names and titles represent. We thank you for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that's available to us. I ask you, Lord, that you would move on the hearts of some in this room and draw them to yourself, seeing their need to bow before the Lord and receive the saving grace that only he can provide and to look forward to the time that he returns as King of Kings. And Lord, we will grant you and give you gladly the honor and the praise that your name deserves. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just before we stand for our closing song, your take-home truth, God's name should only be used in ways consistent with his character. Let's stand for our closing song.